Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 197. I think we're all going to learn something about ourselves. This week, we're discussing season 7, episode 1 of Buffy, Lessons, and season 3, episode 17 of Battlestar Galactica, Maelstrom. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Buffy season seven. Hooray! <laughs> After many, many long and, you know, uh, fun years, but long too, we have finally arrived at the beginning of Buffy season I mean, seven. we're still going to be talking about it for like another year. Yeah, right. Um, and not that we'll ever really run out of things to talk about. I'm sure we'll just find new things. Um, but it is exciting to get to. It is. The final season of Buffy that feels quite triumphant. Sure. Sure. Um, so I wanted to start with this beginning of the episode um, with this little good, prologue a good place to start a very good place to start um yeah they have this prologue which is kind of you know a little non sequitur here that um at least so far doesn't really connect to anything else in the episode that we see it's this sort of mm-hmm. scene that you jump kind of right in the middle of this action um goes where it goes it's never really explained and then it sort of cuts over to the characters that we know and there's no reference to it again that i can see um or at least not overtly maybe in retrospect there are but as a first time viewer um it's not ever really followed up on which is interesting i don't feel like they've ever really done that before like there's times where they'll have a little prologue that ties into later that you figure out what's going on but here, like in the same episode, of, in the same episode, right. like where you don't understand the context, but eventually it makes sense. Right. Um, whereas that's not what happens here. It's just sort of this little, um, you know, chapter of its own that never uh, really comes back or doesn't yet. I mean, obviously, I presume that it will again and will continue yeah. to unfold and be important. But I mean, I'm trying um, to think, but. At least to this point in the series, not to give anything away, <laughs> we've never seen this sort of thing before. I think you're right. Like, like there might be, like, teasers for upcoming episodes, but it's usually, like, in the midst of, like, other things that are going on. So, like, mm-hmm. you might have a character or a flashback, but, yeah, like, there's usually at least some other reference that makes it make sense in that episode. Right. Um. Or there might be a cliffhanger or something where it's like, oh, you you have to wait for, like, the payoff. But, like, it still ties into the rest of the episode. Like, there's, Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't think of any other time in Buffy where we have that sort of thing. I think you're right. Which is interesting following on the conversation about the increased uh, serialization and how things are plotted out um, over the course of the season rather than just episode to episode. Whereas I feel like this is kind of a extreme of that, of we're going to introduce some plot thread or some notion that um, you have to 
see future episodes even to get any hint as to what it might mean. Um, so yeah. that's kind of an interesting. Assuming it's not way like a cheese man thing it. where you just never really understand it. Sure, which is you know unlikely but possible, I suppose. It doesn't have the surrealness of the cheese man. Sure, it seems to have some sort of function or purpose within the story other than a purely symbolic um make of this pile of mashed potatoes what you will kind of moment which is more what the cheese man does and and also worth pointing out so right so it's not so i guess we can rule out like surreal dream um Mm. but also or or i mean at least it seems like we can. I guess maybe I don't want to give anything away, but like it seems that way to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, to to just restate what you're saying, not to put words in your mouth. Um, also worth pointing out that it there's no date, right? So the the presumption is that it's present day, mm. right? Does right. It, it doesn't does it say present day or I can't remember now actually. I don't think so, but that's that right. That's the. If it doesn't specify a date, it seems like it's contemporaneous with right. the other things that are going on. Right. Um, we're not so we're not doing a flashback or anything like that. Yeah. As far as yep. as far as we know. As far as we know. And I think it seems modern in the the clothes and the right. what the way things are designed and everything. Um so yeah, I mean in terms of what actually happens, just to kind of go through the major points um istanbul not constantinople <laughs> you know i was gonna say it i could feel i could feel you can't you not predict. say it right no um girl being uh chased by some unknown pursuer climbs up onto a roof and then gets uh pushed off and then uh attacked and seemingly stabbed we don't really see the results of that it kind of cuts away but um it looks not good for her um and uh so kind of an inch that's really all that there is and it's not dissimilar to scenes that we've had of episodes that start with random victim gets chased by monster and everything sure um but yeah the fact that and it's and not not only that but it's almost a staple of like procedurals right like it's like i feel yeah. like we get that even more in like angel than we do as a right. more like procedural show right right than, than we do even in buffy although we certainly right. have gotten it in buffy right um right right so yeah, but like we were saying before, that's often followed up with some sort of explanation of who the victim was and right. and what the crime was about and who the murderer is. And we don't get that. So it kind of leaves it in an interesting space. Um, oh, and, and I do remember kind of thinking that um, it reminded me a little bit of the beginning of the very first season, which, which starts with... Um, Darla as you know right. the the kind of staple of young woman who's sure going into a creepy space and is a victim although that turned around on its head 
when she turns out to be the 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 monster whereas this is emphatically not what happens here uh she seems to be in trouble and she is right it's and almost the more traditional right. know, horror trope of and she seems somewhat capable she seems fast she can climb up under the roof it, it could seem like she could escape or fight back but then that's not where it goes she ends up getting caught mm. um so it kind of reminds you of other scenarios i guess in the way that buffy and angel are done but it doesn't follow the rules of how you expect those things to go either with having the victim turn out to be the monster or with then following it up with some sort of procedural explanation of the whole thing so um yeah kind of an intriguing little beginning to the episode yeah I mean, so, all right. yeah, like, like again, like without necessarily want to wanting to go into any details. Like, yeah, like it, it, it's almost, it's kind of funny that in its very, uh, in the in that aspect of like it is the opening to a procedural, mm-hmm. and it is like the normal like young not necessarily helpless girl but like whatever is being chased by a monster and killed but like those aspects together kind of make it weird (laughs) you know like right because we're so used to buffy subverting those things right it's it's weirdly straightforward it's weirdly not subverted yeah so right right and that is the subversive element of oh you're gonna see like a very traditional monster movie opening that they actually so it's following more the rules of that tradition not following the rules that buffy has established right um of what you come to expect from that so so definitely interesting and this being the beginning of the last season and there are being many references in this episode to the beginning of the show it'll be interesting i think to see what kind of commentary is being made about like that all of those things we just said feel like a commentary on the tropes of Buffy and the way that it subverts genre tropes so um you know I don't know yet what the point of this scene is but it I'm kind of in the first couple episodes of the season thinking about that larger question of what does Buffy mean? Like as we <laughs> enter the last season, I sure. feel like those kinds of big picture thematic concerns are important. So yeah, speaking of returning to the beginning and first principles and that kind of full circle idea, um, the main situation of this episode is uh, the return to Sunnydale High mm. and with the newly uh, constructed and renovated building on the site of the old one. So that, of course, is causing some consternation with the Scoobies because, of course, they went and built it on the site of the old one. So right, right back on top of the hell mouth. Yeah. Um, and um, found a and new they, lot or something. <laughs> Yeah, right? Um, Like, weird things keep happening here. Maybe, like, see if any other pieces of land are available in town. But, um, but yeah, uh, that's where they end up. And um, they 
end up building the principal's office directly over the Hellmouth um, rather than the library. Um, so I think we'll talk about the new principal in a couple minutes, um, but that automatically suggests dangerous things. The, the, the person of highest power gets a seat right over the source of all the evil and everything. Um, sure. I mean, so. certainly suspicious. Whether So, I mean, the question is whether the principal knew. Like, does he did he influence where his office was? Or was that, like, you know, handled elsewhere? Like, was that in... Like, who, like, who, you know, the principal doesn't necessarily build the school, right? Like, no. it's like right. the school board or some other entity, like, right. you know, superintendent or, you know, whoever who has that sort of power to, like, approve the construction and layout and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, no, it's not proof of anything. It, right. Like, um, does that, so, like, does this mean that, like, the principal himself had you know some kind of influence on it like like we don't know and and we could i mean we'll get to him in a minute yeah. but like but like yeah there's definitely for one reason or another <laughs> mm -hmm. the placement is at least suspicious if not mm -hmm. uh you know portentous yeah. i guess i don't i don't know yeah. what the right yeah. description is there of that but you know what i mean yes um, yeah yeah um, and, and and they call it out, right? So Xander calls it out directly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which he would because right. he's involved in the building. Right. The and can use his, his access to get these blueprints and figure out the building plan and help Buffy in keeping an eye. Um, so, and, and so there's that aspect too of, uh, it's not just that the high school's rebuilt, um, but they have direct involvement in it. Um, Dawn is going as a student there. Xander was built or was part of the, the building of it. He wasn't built. He was part of the <laughs> I knew the building and the planning. Um, and Buffy kind of is just keeping her eye on it and goes to check things out, but ends up getting a position that keeps her directly involved. So everybody has connections to it um yeah. and they're bracing themselves for what they're sure is going to be this new flood of right. activity right. going to come out of there, it. there's a boot and it's going to drop and they just don't know where it is or when right like, yeah yeah right um and so then there's also the aspect of buffy keeping an eye on dawn too um sure in a in a big sisterly way, but in a very practical slayer way too, of wanting to keep her literally safe as well as keeping an eye on her uh, her care and her emotional state and all mm. those sorts of things that you know that Dawn's been through. So Buffy has a, a very protective aspect to it. It's not just about her duty as a slayer with the Hellmouth. It's also about her duty to dawn um right. right and so you get like the opening well not the other than the prologue <laughs> the mm -hmm. the opening where like she's teaching dawn how to fight right like she's mm -hmm. actively 
So this is going back to um, even the finale, right, of, of the last season where, like, Buffy hands Don the sword and then is kind of, like, surprised at Don's ability to fight. And Don's like, what? I, I've been watching you, like, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now this is sort of the next level. It's like, it's not just, like, letting Don in on the action a bit but like actively like teaching her how to like defend herself and kind of what it takes to maybe not to be the slayer but like to at least be on like the side of fighting evil right right Right. and i think they do a good job of that in the training scene of showing that dawn is capable and learning to a certain extent without making her a slayer without making her into this fighting prodigy like no she doesn't have these superpowers she might be learning how to fight and might be doing as good a job of it as she can but she's not suddenly um buffy and which might never be able to do what buffy does and certainly not right away you know, which despite being, um, you know, created by, like, a mystical force, like, maybe other than Xander is, like, the most normal of the Scoobies, <laughs> like, right? right? Like, she doesn't have any special powers that we know of. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, is kind of, like, and she's the youngest and still in high school. And, like, like even Xander, Xander at this point, like, yeah, he doesn't have any, like, he's not the Slayer, he's not magical like Willow, but like he at least, you know, kind of has things more, at least more figured out. I mean, the whole leaving Anya at the altar sucks still, but like, like it's, he has a job, right? And he seems to be doing pretty good at it. Like he, right, you know, yeah. for as, like this is far cry from Xander hopping in the van to go find himself and breaking down a few towns over and spending the summer in a very sort of questionable job, right? Like mm-hmm. in the early seasons, we, or well, season four-ish, I guess the middle seasons, like we saw Xander doing all sorts of weird, crazy things from ice right. cream truck right. to, you know, whatever. So like, this is, I guess, Again, like, even, like, though he might still be, like, your everyman kind of character, it's, like, less so than even, like, Don is at this point. Like, Mm. Don's really kind of that normalist of normal people and just, you know, having to have a sister with, like, superpowers and, you know, is learning stuff, but not really... Mm -hmm. Other than, again, her mystical, like, origin doesn't really have a special power or purpose or you know anything right. like that right or like you said the whatever confidence and security comes along with adulthood of being self-sufficient right. to to a certain extent um which xander definitely has um and they kind of highlight that with cutting from the end of giles line to willow about in the end we all are who we are no matter how much we appear to have changed that like sure Xander has appeared to have changed a lot and maybe he is still the same person on the inside. Um, but yeah, like that's really emphasized by him getting out of this nice car in a nice suit, um, supervising, not even just 
a construction worker who makes enough money to support himself, but supervising mm -hmm. a construction site. Um, so even advancing in his positions and his role. Sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Whereas Dawn is just beginning the high school is hell stage of maybe she had a little preview of it earlier because of who her sister is, but she's, she's put in the position of the Scoobies when they first started. Right. Um, and has all the, the adolescent angst of that to go through. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, let's see. All right. We talked about kind of, Buffy's waiting and watching for suspicious activity. So she's just kind of like hovering to Dawn's <laughs> kind of relief, but kind of chagrin, um, you know, hovering in the background of the school, right. checking things out. Um, so in doing that, she meets the new principal, uh, principal DB Woods. Or no. Is, no, that's the name of the actor. No principal. What's his name? Uh, Robin. <laughs> Robin. Yeah. Well, so um, Robin Wood, but Robin yeah, Wood. like like so the last name I knew it had Wood in it. Right? I got like, confused. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so DB Woodside is so yeah. So let's talk about him for a moment because so DB Woodside is the actor who plays Robin Wood, um, and Robin and, Wood it sounds like there's just you can't not think of Robin Hood. There's such a like sure, but also like wooden stake, right? And sure. Uh, also, Robin Wood is the name of a relatively famous uh, movie and television critic um, who is apparently, you know, the, the, the character name is, is sort of an homage to him. Um, gotcha. And, and I guess I, I don't I don't know his work that well, but apparently. No, I don't either. Uh, apparently Robin Wood did talk a lot. Um, about like gender issues and, and stuff in movies as well and and mm. um you know talked about like horror and and those sorts of genre films too so like there's there's a lot of like i guess those types of connections in what he did and and whedon is apparently uh ha has a fair amount of respect for him so so that's w sort of where um he comes in so uh anyway uh, to talk about D.B. Woodside for a minute, the actor. Um, mm -hmm. uh, he, specifically, there's another Whedon connection with him. Um, in that, well, kind of a Whedon connection. So, you know, obviously he plays Robin Wood here in Buffy. Um, he'll later go on uh, to be in suits with... Um, Gina Torres, Zoe, um, mm -hmm. who actually will appear in Angel later too. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll get to see her there. So, um, not a Whedon production, but they uh, they appear on screen together in that. So there's kind mm -hmm. of a nice little um, thing there. But yeah, no, I think he does a good job. Um, you know, here, well, and actually, he he does like a guest episode in Castle too. So you have the uh, Nathan Fillion connection there, who will also mm -hmm. appear later in uh, Buffy. So, when, mm. uh, I, I don't know if I if I said this before, but like once Firefly ends, it's like right. like all the all the Firefly actors are like 
you know, looking looking for for jobs. Um, I I believe Adam Baldwin also appears in an episode. Um, And of course, we've already seen um, uh, Summer Glad. Summer Glad, thank you. Um, although, so that right. that that was how she got the Firefly gig, not right. That, so right. that's that kind of the opposite. Way, but, right, but um, like, look, these people have bills to pay. So yeah, and uh, so yeah. Anyway, so um, I mean, but DB Woodside, he's been in a ton of stuff. Um, he uh, was apparently p- played President Wayne Palmer in Twenty Four. So I don't, I I never saw Twenty Four, but. Uh, Me he was in, I guess, several seasons of that. Um, he, uh, again, I mentioned Suits. He, he was in a couple of seasons there as a recurring guest star um, and, and some other shows and films that um, one might be familiar with. Apparently, um, he's a regular on the show Lucifer right now. So mm-hmm. uh, another show I haven't seen, but um, I've heard is good. So uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, so a, a really, he, I, I like him. He's a good actor. I think uh, got a lot of good credits to his name. But uh, yeah, yeah, so um, the principal, though, yeah, uh, like 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 we, you know, we're saying before his office is right above the helm house. So what does that mean? Does that does that make him predator or prey? Like mm. you know, one right. way or the other. Is this like? you know, Jonathan Edwards, dang, you know, dangling over the pit of hell, or is it, you know, is, does he have some power where he's trying to open up the hell mouth and, mm-hmm. you know, cause a ruckus? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right. So I, I don't know if you have any predictions and, you know, you can, we can just skip by it if you don't, but like, um, sure. you know, the, yeah. the, the other question I would sort of ask, um, sorry, and then I'll actually let you talk, um, is, you know, were you like surprised by his offer? I mean, you know, to Buffy, like, was that what you were like expecting from him? Like, I, you know, what what are your thoughts kind of there about him and and what he does? Yeah, and says in this episode. No, I I definitely wasn't surprised, or I wasn't expecting the the job offer. I mean, it's definitely um there are some red herrings and I don't know that they're the most subtle of him kind of probing Buffy for information about who she is and what her school record was. And the fact that he even knows who she is, like knows her name and Mm -hmm. kind of knows about her and her reputation and everything. So I think what you're, uh, I mean, on the very first surface, there's just the sense of a principal who knows about former problem or troubled students of students who had colorful records let's say um sure and then there's the kind of red herring level underneath that where your mind immediately goes to oh he's evil he's snooping and trying to find out about Buffy and who she is and and he knows about her because he's a villain and wants information yeah. and stuff. Or and least... then that seems too obvious. So then your mind is looking at for other things. So I don't know that I um, predicted that he was going to offer her a job, but sure. I was, you know, you're waiting for some reason for him to, what's his cover or his other reason for wanting this information other than just being the, the arch villain, um, which he might still turn out to be, but 
not yet, not this early, and not before I think we've had some chance to learn more about him. And my, I don't have a prediction of yet is he good or evil or something in between. Um, I guess just my sense of the story is that whether it's just for a few episodes or for the whole season, that there's going to be a bit of an arc where you're maybe led in both directions and given some, maybe one episode you're given something that pulls you towards one camp and then maybe you get something that pulls you towards the other. Sure. Um, like and like maybe the writers, yeah, maybe the writers are going to have a little fun with making you A guess. little fun of, yeah. right, because there's so many different things to, that are, that seem very deliberately crafted about him, like the fact that his office is over the Hellmouth, but then, as you said, maybe that's the decision of the superintendent, and so maybe they're the ones who we should be looking at with suspicion. Um, or, you know, I feel like the fact that we've had this kind of spectrum of principles, um, mm. of, of varying degrees of either evil or incompetence, um, We've not yet had a real heroic principle, but sure. Flutie was sort of uh, ineffectual in a way, you know, and right. ended up being, there's reference to him getting eaten by his feral pack of students. Um, so not a bad guy, but a bit bumbling or a bit clueless as to what goes on. He wasn't, right. he wasn't very clued into the dangers of Sunnydale. Um, sure. And then Snyder, I wouldn't call like a pure evil villain necessarily, but he was definitely had his shady alignments with people like the mayor and mm -hmm. and was, was corrupted and influenced by those and wasn't a trustworthy person. He was, you know, um kind of more in that middle ground leaning towards uh leaning towards the bad side but also in his own way a little bit bumbling too mm. um and so now you've got this guy who is certainly in his uh appearance the way he comes across is not bumbling at all he comes in young and slick and kind of i guess together looking in a way that the other guys definitely weren't. Um, sure. So what does that mean? Does his kind of, I guess, attractiveness reflect like an inward heroism? Like, is it that kind of thing? Or is it right. is that like the face of the smooth devil who is going to charm you with how, what a good principle he is? And that's the trap. And so you're not... It, and you're not quite sure. It feels like one or the other will be true and would be significant, but then who knows? Maybe he's just a normal person who gets a crap job assignment and stuck into a situation that he has no sense of or no control over. Mm. Um, he seems like he's coming in with big ideas of I'm going to be the best principal ever. That's not a huge bar to clear as far as the school is concerned. But... Um, you know, what he means by that and exactly how much he knows in terms of, you know, you've mentioned the epistemic regime before, um, 
how clued in is he to the world that he's now part of isn't quite clear yet. So. Right. Well, and so that's, but he's definitely, he's definitely marked as different than Flutie and Snyder by pretty much everything about him. <laughs> uh, tells you that this is not that. Right. Um, whatever they were, you know, he's something different. Yeah. Um, right. And so when you were talking about like Flutie and Snyder, like I was thinking about like, it's been a while since we talked about the whole like different levels of knowledge and stuff. And I guess the epistemic regime sort of reflects on that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's hard to tell. Like, is he like, is he clued in to that? Like weird, the weird stuff that's going on in Sunnydale, or is it just, he went back and he, wanted to read all the records of you know the students who were bad and so he just happens to know Buffy because she had so many things sort mm -hmm. of on her record and so right you know does that make him like just a good principal because he's like doing his due diligence or is there like yeah that ulterior motive mm -hmm. um yeah yeah. Um, and I guess just to finish with Buffy's job offer, since we sort of were on that topic anyway, um, she accepts it very eagerly. Um, and it just kind of occurred to me now, yeah, if he's reading through her records, she's going to be a problem student or a troubled student, somebody who had a lot of issues and a lot of different things that she was involved in that could look bad if you don't know what the context is it could seem like a student who's in a lot of fights has a lot of absences doesn't get good grades has a fractured home life all that kind of right. all she ticks all those boxes even sure. if they don't realize why and what her reasons are for that but then on the other so that's the kind of bad stuff but on the good side um he has to kind of see that she was named like the class protector too. Um, so there's, sure. So there's a side of her of, Oh, you can work with troubled kids because you were one and you understand them and you can talk to them. But then there's also the sense of she earned a place of respect among the peers yeah. that has to sort of stick with her reputation as well. Um, yeah. I, I so mean, the fact that she's coming in to protect and help this whole new generation of uh, kids is kind of interesting. I didn't really think about it, but yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, that would be presumably in maybe like the yearbook or something. Like if he is going back and reading those records, like, yeah, like maybe he's flipped through the yearbooks and seen, mm -hmm. you know, Jonathan. <laughs> now, ironically. ironically, yeah, like <laughs> as the one who like gave that to her and. Um, yeah. yeah yeah I never really thought about that aspect of it but I think you're right that makes that makes sense um all right so I guess moving on to the specific monster of the week um they're not the most I mean, I think there's other bigger things going on in this episode, so I think they're fairly straightforward mm -hmm. as far as Monsters of the Week go. Um, but 
you know, ghost zombies that scare you and are kind of haunting them. Like, not like the most uh, memorable or important monster ever, but I think they kind of serve a important role of, of just reminding you of all the bad things and all the death and destruction that's been in this space. And just, I guess on a metaphor of the weak level, just a reminder that those things still haunt the school, that it's not, it's not a brand new Sunnydale high. It's, it's a new building built on a same space. Sure. And there's a memory of, there's a place memory of that. And there are these spirits that are clinging to it and haunting it. And that kind of resent Buffy for not always saving all of them. Sure. Um, so, yeah, kind of a, a, you know, interesting idea without ever really taking over or becoming the central, the central idea of the episode. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and again, with going with, like, you know, tropes and stuff like this is like the ancient burial ground idea, right? right? Like, right. like new construction, but there's old horrors. Um, yeah. the, you know, the idea of um, the terrible place, right? Like this yeah. is the, you know, and even like the fact that they like are sort of mostly secluded to like the basement, like the dark, dank, mm. you know, it's not like, like, okay, they'll appear to, like, the girl in the bathroom or whatever, but it's, like, that's not kind of where they live. They have to, like, pull you down into mm. their territory, you know, the restricted access, uh, you know, place where people aren't supposed to be, and that's kind of where they live and thrive. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's a talisman, too. So there's that right. aspect of they were called or summoned or invoked or whatever, right. you know, the appropriate term is there, encanted. Um, right. Right. So there is an aspect of the ongoing mystery of who has interest in Sunnydale and who's a player here. And somebody put a talisman that right. we don't right. find out who. Yeah. Um, like, the, and, you know, we talked about like the Hellmouth and it being underneath the principal's office, but these aren't Hellmouth demons. Right. These are again, you know, like students or janitors and whatnot that have been killed, you know, in the high school previously, but are themselves, you know, they're, like they're not part of the Hellmouth. They're just, beings or creatures or whatever that have you know basically been brought to life or rebrought to life mm -hmm. whatever by something by someone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, right. and we don't know who it is and we never we never find out really right right um so yeah yeah right so a little tease of a ongoing mystery there um and I'll be yeah. honest, I don't know if we do ever find out, like, who did, who did that. Oh, interesting. I'm going to have okay. to, like, think about that. Um, maybe yeah. there's something I'm forgetting. Like, if it is, it, it's, like, I think it must be, like, one of those sort of, like, offhand, like, 
oh, and that must have been who left that talisman that one time right. several episodes okay. ago or something like okay. that. I, I, I honestly don't remember if we ever actually find out like where the talisman itself comes from. Sure, and that fact in itself is revealing of even if they do mention it, it's not like a big, it's not the centerpiece of Principal Woods unmasking as a master villain. Like, it sounds like it's a fairly minor point. Um, so that's interesting. And I think kind of maybe suggests that there may be many different players involved of varying motivations and varying degrees um, sure. that are all sort of, it, it, it could be almost anything and whether they follow it up or not, it's like there's things coming at them from all different sides and Buffy and crew don't necessarily know who all is involved mm. and, you know, uh, where to expect those attacks to come from. So interesting. Um, we talked about Dawn's training in terms of her fighting abilities, but it's also notable her more natural, I guess, taking over of Buffy's role in her own kind of Scooby gang. Um, she's marked pretty quickly as like a weirdo. Um, she kind of has, mm. you know, there's maybe the notion that she'll live a more normal existence and in some ways like you said she is more normal than Buffy ever could be um and yet she gets like stabbed in the eye with a ghost pen yeah. and has a, like a meltdown in the middle of the class so it's like day one it's like oh that's the freak and she's just like her sister who was weird and crazy and sure. all these things so she's sort of pretty quickly pushed to the margins um and ends up just out of circumstance, befriending two other kids who also are kind of similarly outcast. Um, and, you know, a girl and a boy. So they become this right. little Scooby gang part two. New, um, new Willow and New Xander, yeah. Yeah, and they're all outside. None of these, these are not the popular cool kids. They're all kind of a little bit weird and that have that notion of, finding each other and having this secret experience that they only they know about and that they helped each other and saved each other. And that creates this instant sort of camaraderie. Sure. Um, so, I mean, we don't get to know those characters super well yet. Um, but just the fact of there's this little trio walking off down the hallway together, you can kind of see that already starting to happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, hmm. I mean, Don should already have friends, right? Like, this isn't like Buffy transferring in the middle of sophomore year. Sure. Like, Don went to middle school. Like, we saw her. We saw her at the middle school when, you know, in the body, when Buffy goes right. and, and, you know, talks to her and tells her what happened. Right, and we've seen her with friends. We've seen her. Right, I mean, there's like go out and go over people's houses right. and yeah, and you know, making out with vampires in the part, which even gets referenced in this episode, right? Or something. Uh, I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I had a, oh no moment. Did I give something away? But it's not like we already knew that happened. Yeah. Um, no, I think you're right. Uh, um. But yeah, like there's, right. The whole thing of like, oh, I'm going over to so-and-so's house. Right. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I forget her friend's name that she always says she's going over to visit. Me too. Um, so it it's not like she's necessarily friendless either, or shouldn't really be. But yeah, there sure. is that, you know, sort of first day of high school, I guess, vibe mm-hmm. as well. Um, well, and is there a little bit of, not retcon exactly, but a reframing there? Because even the way they have her be going to introduce herself to the class when Buffy bursts in and it's embarrassing. Like, they kind of treat her, like the writers, I mean, kind of almost treat her like a new student. Yeah. Um, And there might be a sense of, even if they're not literally saying she's a new student, they want to have that similarity of what Buffy was sure. going through. And, um, I mean, I guess if that continuity issue bothers you that's fair enough but I think like they kind of want you to feel like she's in that position of the outsider Mm -hmm. um yeah no I whether or not whether or not that's totally justified like I, I guess I suppose every student could be introducing themselves but that's the way it's written like that it's written like one of those movies or shows where it's the new kid introducing themselves and some embarrassing thing happens yeah. like that's what it's invoked well i think i mean they definitely say like don's like okay i guess i'll go first or something like that like so it does right. seem so, like it's yeah, like I think a first kind day of school thing you can kind of explain it away you know think, where but. where maybe there's you know like in, in the school district where my kids go to school there's two middle schools and so you know right. when you go to high school you might not know everyone because yeah. You know, whatever. So, you know, Sunnydale might be that sort of thing. Like, maybe it's not a huge town. Maybe, you know, it only has one high school, but maybe it's big enough to have, like, two middle schools or, or right. whatever. Um, no, and that makes sense. Like, I don't think they're literally saying that, but I think there's a feeling to it that resembles the the new kid and or at least a kid in a new situation. And there's some of the social anxiety of that a little bit. Right. Um, so, yeah, um, anything else about, like, the school, the situation, all that, um, I, I think we wanted to kind of finish with Spike, so skipping over his involvement. Sure, Um, no, I mean, again, with Dawn fighting and stuff, like, we get to see her, like, with her new pals, sort of being that leader, and... You know, like she takes the bag and puts the rocks in it and, you know, uses it as a weapon and. um, Right. And has a cell phone, the most powerful weapon of all. Um, Right. This old school flip phone, you know. Very hip. Yeah. um, Whatever. But yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't I don't think. I mean, you know, she still needs like Buffy to. you know, help her fight her way out. Like, she's not, like, strong enough to, like, fight off the ghost things on her own or anything like that. No, she's not suddenly a superhero. Right. Um, 
but but just that you know she does have at least some confidence more than maybe she had before you know so you see some of that coming out a little bit and mm-hmm. um, all of that but no I don't have any uh, I guess I don't have anything really okay um, um other well I guess just other to say that Xander is the one who helps find the talisman right so. Yeah, right. Um, and yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about Sander and Anya next. And yeah, he is, um, I mean, other than seeing him in his somewhat elevated position, that's his main involvement is being the one to find and break the talisman, which is, you know, important. Um, and he saves the day but in a very xander kind of mundane way of like find the thing and snap it um (laughs) which is an important role you don't want to yeah undersell the value of that um sure but it right but he's not i mean i guess like one of the ghosts appears and like attacks him but it's pretty basic right it's yeah like you said find the thing and break it and he can do that much yeah, yeah. Um, so meanwhile, Anya um, is having coffee with Halfrek at, you know, a bad kind of open mic. You know, they're making fun of, well, I guess they're not bad. They're kind of mean-spiritedly making fun of anybody who kind of is happily singing their nice songs um, sure. in the coffee shop. Um, and I guess we hear a bit about Anya's new or revived role as a vengeance demon and how that's not necessarily going as well or as smoothly as she used to be Mm -hmm. um so halfred kind of tells her that uh their boss isn't pleased with her performance um Mm -hmm. and they're kind of saying she's gone soft and um uh when when a client i guess wished her husband would turn into a frog. She turned him French, like like this the softest the softest most gentle interpretation of the sure. wish. Um, um, not the literal gore and suffering, but a kind of nice, prettified version of that. Right. Um, so all of this humanity and having friends and having relationships, she's finding it hard to sort of shake that off and get back to the vengeance and the ruthlessness that she used to have. Um, and, and she kind of makes a joke about, is this an intervention? Shouldn't all my demon friends be here? And how says, sweetie, they are. So she's totally alienated all those old demon pals she used to have in, you know, through having turning human and having the Scoobies She's really severed all those connections yeah. and um, only Halfrek remains and is kind of trying to give her some tough love, but, um, <laughs> um, but seems kind of chagrined about it. Like Halfrek seems like, oh, she's, she's kind of like, we're friends, so I'm helping you out. But she seems frustrated with Anya herself even. Sure. Um, like she doesn't quite get what the problem is, doesn't really get what she really saw in those humans to begin with I don't think um so she's not she's kind of doing her a favor and trying to be honest but she's not necessarily that sympathetic about it right 
Well, I mean, and this was like even before, like when we first saw Hoffrick, right? And um, she was even sort of like trying to understand Xander and Anya's relationship and was like, right. Oh, so he like tells you how to act and like, like, right. like everything that Anya says sort of like comes out wrong and, and Hoffrick mm-hmm. kind of turns it back on her and doesn't really. And it's hard to right. know, like, is she being sort of intentionally obtuse or like, is this just she can't understand like what it is Anya sees in the humans, like you were saying, or or whatever. But yeah. Um, right. Well, that's the nature of the vengeance demon is this kind of cynicism of humanity and their broken promises and their disappointments and the fact that they're really not worth the trouble. Um, sure. So and it's kind of interesting that Anya has come out of that really terrible breakup. Um, not totally able to go back to pure vengeance. Right. That there's some humanity and some other ideas that are clinging to her, even though she kind of wants to go back to the vengeance, she can't quite do it very easily. Um, and and maybe a little confusing for Halfrick too, considering that relationship vengeance is Anya's specialty, right? Like, sure, right, um, right, right. The jilted lover that is her, yeah, that's her thing, right. So that she wouldn't come out of that totally vindicated of having been proved right of this is what I knew all along and now I know absolutely that I was right to right. be a vengeance demon and men are evil and all this stuff. Um, Anya kind of maybe wants to pay some lip service to those ideas, but like, yeah, her actions aren't really reflecting that too well. Um, um Um, and kind of an ominous line in there about this is a bad time to be a good guy. Um, sure. With a reference to this, uh, the Hellmouth and this kind of dark evil that's brewing and all that resurfacing. Um, when we first met Anya, she was very self-interested. And even when she liked Xander, her response was to try to convince Xander to run away from the bad things with her. Mm -hmm. Um, so... To suddenly have her in a position where she has a more altruistic side to her does put her in an awkward position if, like, bad things start to happen. Um, Yep. Right, and, like, because that was with the the mayor, right? Like, the impending ascension and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like, she was, like... I know what's going to happen here. We should get out of town and you should come with me. And she stays for Xander, basically, right? Like, that's... Mm -hmm. That was way back in season three. (laughs) Like, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, a long time ago now. Um, Right. But yeah, I mean, I guess I don't really have anything to add to what you said, just kind of agreeing with you. Um, Yeah. Um... Yeah, so interesting kind of little setup for Anya of, of how to how to be a good guy without the the motivation of Xander and and that personal relationship. Um, 
So yeah, we'll kind of keep our eye on that. Um, for Willow and Giles, I think there's just a couple of quick little scenes. Um, I know you had a production note about the location. Oh yeah, um, just the fact that um, the England scenes were um, apparently filmed right at uh, or uh, not Giles, but Anthony Head's actual house in Somerset in England. Yeah. So, um, and that's not like a bad, that, not a bad place. Yeah, right. That's uh, his horse that he's riding. That's Anthony Head's horse <laughs> that Giles is riding. Uh, and yeah, no, I mean just a nice little, yeah, a nice little place to be there. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean an yeah. interesting tidbit more than a production note, I guess. Um, I mean technically it, that's where it was produced, so it is a production sure. note. But um, yes, yeah, just kind yes, of a little, little yeah. Whatever. Yeah, vacation at uh, Anthony's house. Um, right. Yeah, that's a nice, nice uh, looking little farm he's got there. Um, so, oh, and I guess on the level of slightly production note, um, he's still listed as a guest star. Mm. Uh, yeah, what is Which is frustrating. What does that mean? I, that means bad that he's not going to be in all the episodes, which is sad for me. Um, you never know. Uh, I guess, but... Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, in terms of their conversation, so Willow's been taken with Giles mm -hmm. back to England to uh, work with his coven. So the coven that was helpful to him in finding out that Willow had gone dark to begin with. Um, yep. There are kind of rehabilitating her. Um, and interestingly, helping her get control of her magic. Whereas I think I would have expected the, the substance abuse metaphor to continue into it being a kind of cold turkey, like you cannot use this lest it, destroy you kind of thing um mm -hmm. that's not quite where it goes that it they kind of talk about how now it's part of her and she really can't yeah not use it she can't deny it and so instead she's learning how to um control herself and her impulses how to have a better understanding of her powers um feeling the connectedness of everything and all that sort of holistic kind of stuff yeah um so there was so, there was um yeah. in in the commentary uh they sort of talk a little bit about this um and and wanting to have willow kind of experience her magic addiction i guess if we're still using the addiction metaphor like less maybe from like a drug addiction where it's like something where you can like just not take the drug or drink the alcohol mm -hmm. or whatever to more of like maybe more an, an eating like an you know eating disorder or like something where like you still have to eat right so like mm -hmm. if you have an eating disorder it's not about like just don't eat anymore <laughs> like right. like you have to still eat you still have to have some sort of sustenance um right. or the other end it's not about not eating it's you, you know you you do still have to maintain your nutrition and all that so it's mm -hmm. more about healthy behavior than mm -hmm. like you know 
quitting doing something altogether or right. whatever. Right. Um, right. So yeah, so just along those those sorts of lines where it's maybe a shifting of the metaphor because I mean they very much do play with it as mm-hmm. a, a drug addiction in the last season, but it's maybe more yeah. like like now they're sort of like tweaking the metaphor a bit and and yeah, going yeah. more for that like. It, you know, it's a thing where it's it's always it's always going to be a part of you. Like the magic is always going to be a part of Willow. You can't like not have it. Once you know, once you have it, you have it. And so it's more about you know learning how to handle it responsibly and dealing with the consequences of your power and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think fair enough. I think you want to go where the most interesting story is, and I think having her be magical and but have to navigate what that means and how to use it and how to use that power without it becoming too controlling of her is probably a more interesting story than Willow going cold turkey. Because we saw that. Like, now that I'm thinking about it, like, we saw Willow go cold turkey in last season. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen that story play out. Um, so I don't know that it's would be kind of redundant to just do that again. So this is taking it in a new direction. Um, so, I mean, the metaphors are useful to a certain extent, but uh, you also have to know kind of when to abandon them and in favor of a more interesting story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, besides just learning about what she's been up to, um, she also makes reference to the Hellmouth. Um, so through her, we're getting this idea that it's there's something brewing that's coming and that it's not just, oh, they rebuilt the school on the same location, but there's a sense of bad things on the horizon and she can feel that and sense that even halfway around the world. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, one of those little things that's laying groundwork for the future, but um, an interesting thing to set up. Um, Anything else for Willow and Giles before we uh, finish with Spike? Nope. Okay. Um, So Spike's back. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, We learned, I'm right, yes, that he got his soul at the end of the previous season, Mm -hmm. um, where uh, the characters don't know that yet, but we do. Um, So he's turned up and is sort of lurking in the basement of Sunnydale, um, being quite insane acting, Um, creepy giggling and rambling and... Uh, near tears at points. There's the kind of um, he's gone a little cracked in the mind, but there's also this sense of this uncontrollable emotion that is coming up in him, which I feel like is somewhat similar to what we saw with Angel in some flashbacks of of the newly reinsold vampire who's sort of overwhelmed with the guilt and the trauma of what they've done and don't really, it takes them a while to accustom themselves to those ideas. Um, so he's sort of in the throes of his 
little meltdown um, as a result of that. Um, yeah, and kind of like not quite making sense of this is my home, I belong here, always been here, cheers for stopping by. Like, he's making sense to himself, but um, but he's gone a little bit funny. Um, so yeah, um, and and so I guess kind of moving towards the, the big reveal of the ending, um, kind of talking to himself throughout, um, and then seemingly talking to spirits. And since we've had sort of ghost spirits in the school in this episode, you kind of presume that that's what's going on is they're sort of affecting him. Um, but then there's this conversation with another spirit, it seems that is an entirely different thing from what we can tell. Um, because rather than being these, the ghosts of these victims, um, it becomes the figures or the ghosts of these people that we know. Um, yeah. So, um, sure. So let's kind of go through them. Um, <laughs> with one exception, um, I'm right. Yes. I'm reminding myself that I'm right about this. They're all bad guys. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was kind of thinking of them as all the big bads kind of in reverse order. I think you pointed out earlier that they're not necessarily the big bad. Um, that's broadly what they are. There's some exceptions like Drusilla doesn't quite fit that mold. So, you know, um, there's maybe a little more nuance to it than that, but they're all sort of big threats yeah. and they do, and they do go in a kind of reverse chronological order of one season at a time mm -hmm. of when this threat was introduced back to where the show started. Um, right. So there's definitely, there's definitely that aspect of like, there's at least like, if it's not quite the big bad of the season, it's at least like representative of the season, right? Like, of the season, of the threat that season. Right. Yeah. So like, Technically, season two, Angel is the big bad. Right. Angelus is right. the big bad. But of right. course, like right. Angel is off in on another network. Um, right. I right. Mean, and and his I mean, status in another is, city, like or whatever. Like like his contract lies elsewhere. Um, and um, and like yes, he was Angelus was the big bad. But like Angel himself doesn't really represent you know, villainy to yeah. and, the audience. Um, whereas like, and, and you're not going to use Spike, I guess, because he's already there. Um, right. So then you go to kind of the next obvious choice and like, you could have had uh, the annoying Spike one. talking to himself. The annoying one. Uh, right. Well, the whole point of him although, was his Although he's probably grown up by now because that was five seasons ago. <laughs> That's true. He would be the annoying teenager. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, right. no, I, so, so right, so, anyway, back to your point, though, there definitely is a reverse chronological order, as far as, like, sort of the representative threat to Sunnydale right. slash Buffy slash the Scoobies, right. you know, like. Right, right, um, and it seems to be, it seems mm -hmm. to be, to me, to be a single entity or mind or whatever monologuing to Spike, um, but the language changes to suit the persona that it's adopting so it might be one person who's making a point um 
but everything kind of reflects the peculiarities of that villain. So kind of to go through them, um, it starts with Warren um, uh, and his kind of misogyny of I, I'm beyond her understanding. She's a girl, sugar and spice and everything useless unless you're baking. So his kind of toxic attitude towards the women comes through. Mm -hmm. um, and then Glory's sort of arrogance and self-regard of there's not a human word fabulous enough for me. Um, so whatever this persona is, it has all of her grandiosity and everything. Um, mm -hmm. And then it goes to Adam and his very scientific um, way of thinking and speaking of everything is well within parameters. She's exactly where I want her to be. And so are you, number 17. So kind of putting Spike in his place as an, just another piece of the puzzle and an mm. experiment and a thing to be sort of manipulated. Um, and then you get the mayor um, who kind of makes all the references to Spike's soul um, and the complications of that. So the mayor says... Uh, what did you think you'd get your soul back and everything would be Jimmy Dandy soul slippier than a greased weasel. Why do you think I sold mine? Um, so his kind of amoral uh, attitude of selling oneself for power or for whatever it is that he wants. Um, and then you get Drew with uh, her kind of possessiveness of Spike so kind of like Adam, like putting him in his place, but in her that typically Drusilla way of talking about them as as partners and lovers of you'll always be mine, you'll always be in the dark with me singing our little songs. Mm -hmm. um, and then the master making the reference to right back to the beginning um, of him being kind of the first villain in Buffy. Um, you know, with the meta aspect of not the bang not the word the true beginning so the true beginning of the story um and then the weird one um which sure. is uh the master saying it's not about right and wrong a buffy it turns into buffy and she finishes with it's about power which calls back to her opening lines to dawn in the mm -hmm. graveyard um but in a very different way, um, you know, Buffy, yeah. Buffy's uh, conception of power to Dawn is this empowering sort of statement for somebody, for like a young girl who's not somebody who you typically think of as having power. Um, mm. So it's her giving that power to Dawn and teaching her to use it. Um, whereas this, whatever this kind of evil spirit is... Um, is kind of having the like might makes right attitude that supervillains have of if I have the power, then that's I make the laws of the universe and everything will sort of bend to my will. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you know what this is, so you probably are picking up on nuances that I can't on the first viewing. So if there's any, yeah. things that I left out or that you want to draw attention to. Um, I mean, there is a commonality. So mm. 
I I don't want to tell you what it is. We will. You other will, than other than like villainy, you mean? I mean, there is a commonality. <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to confirm or deny anything. And and gotcha. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean villainy is the correct answer either. Like I I'm just mm-hmm. saying like. There definitely is a re- there is a thing that links all of these people, including Buffy, and of course, like it's that, you know, it's 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 that sort of word puzzle, right? Like the math word puzzle. Like, mm. can you figure out which of these items is different just by like the different descriptions and and what are the logical things? And it's like one, mm-hmm. once you know what that thing is, like like once you see it, you can't unsee it, kind of mm. you know thing. But. Um, I I won't tell you what it is because I mean I don't know that it's super important that you know but there is um, sure. a piece of it uh, that will sort of make everything else fall into place. Mm. I will say we have seen this entity, spirit mm-hmm. thing, whatever before. Mm-hmm. Um. And that that there also is a connection to the prologue mm. that maybe isn't obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think I think there are. I am really trying not to like say anything wrong and, and be spoiling because they're, you know, this is, I, I mean, sure. you know, like you sort of mentioned before, and I think sort of intuitively if, you know, or maybe not, you know, maybe you thought about it or whatever, but like, like this idea of like, yes, this is season seven. We're thinking about what Buffy is as a show and as a person mm-hmm. and, you know, all of that. And so there are some elements that are definitely scripted you know, from start to end, like, you know, whether it has as good of a season script as maybe season three, we've talked about how that's sort of the best, you know, most cohesive, like, arc of, Mm -hmm. you know, for a season. Um, Mm -hmm. There definitely are elements that will continue to go through this whole thing. And so I'll just say that some of those elements are going to be pulled from different places within the story as we've seen it so mm-hmm. far. But mm-hmm. there's nothing really, at least in these pieces at the beginning and end, that are sort of setting up the longer arc of the season. There's nothing that's really new. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that we've seen all of the pieces of it, you know, together in one place before but there is a way to kind of right you know maybe not having just watched it through one time like you're not going to pick up on all of this but like i do think that like again once it once maybe the things start to come together and they'll come together in the story which is part of why i don't want to like artificially pull Mm -hmm. them together now but like yeah sure but no we want to discover it as it happens but like you know once you sort of see what those pieces are, you can say, oh, yeah, I remember this was maybe from this one season and this was from another. And so, like, I kind of see, like, oh, that's interesting how they 
sort of pulled those ideas together and and are kind of pulling them into one thing. But I mean, I think you get that just even in the litany of yeah. bads, um, if yeah. not quite big bads, all of them. Um, right. And and again, like there is an aspect of Buffy being included in that list that makes sense once you understand what that explanation is, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't want to fumble around any more than I already have and sort sure. of hint and, you know, whatever, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I, I do like, there definitely is a connection between the prologue and the ending. So maybe, mm -hmm. maybe I was a little disingenuous before when I said like nothing, had, but like, it's not clear, like it's totally not obvious what it is and no. we'll, right. we'll come back and see, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. how, how that all plays out later. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I know we've gone a bit over time. Mm -hmm. um, I, any other final thoughts or anything on the episode? Um, no, I thought it was a good season premiere. One of, you know, one of the uh, stronger, I mean, I'm saying one of the stronger ones, like I have an opinion right now as to which are the strong and the weak ones, but like, I felt like it was a good, um, a good opening. Um, so yeah. Cool. All right. Um, yeah. And I mean, we'll see how much time we take. I mean, I think one of the, um, I think there's a lot to talk about with this episode of BSG, but at the same time, um, there's really kind of only one storyline. So like in the whole episode, um, for BSG. So it, oh yeah. For BSG. Sorry. That was a very, um, so I'm saying, that was a very sorry. smooth like lead in. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have, uh, three years of experience or four years now. Goodness. Um, it was a good, uh, you know, yeah. transition. Yeah. Um, what I'm saying is that even though there's things to talk about, it's kind of a pretty streamlined in terms of the plots. So maybe we wouldn't go as long as we would on others just because there's fewer characters sure. to talk about. But um, I mean, there's really only one kind of. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. Like there's other people that interact and have conversations and react to what Starbuck does and everything, but it's really, like you said uh, before we started recording, this is the all Starbuck all the time episode. <laughs> um, even more than other Starbuck episodes, I think. Um, sure. So. Um, yeah. No, I agree. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, to get the sort of plot out of the way, mm -hmm. as much as there is a plot, um, right, the minimal plot. The, as the well, plot yeah. is we're sitting around refueling after the whole Tilium episode stuff that happened before. Um, like now, okay, yeah. we've got Tilium again, refined Tilium, and we're refueling. And in order to do that, we have to sit here with our rear ends hanging out, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and hope the Cylons don't stumble on us. Um, while they're doing that, then of course they're, you know, they've got the cap out, you know, flying to make sure, you know, 
there aren't any like rogue uh, Cylon hunters out there. Um, Cylon raiders, rogue Cylon raiders. Um, What's a rogue Cylon? Yeah, no. exactly. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, like th- that's it. That's like the whole plot of the episode. Like. <laughs> Um, they're just, they're sitting around waiting to finish refueling. Um, Mm -hmm. Starbuck is, you know, one, one of, like, she's out there with Hot Dog initially, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, sees a Cylon, uh, sees a Raider, and, you know, kind of starts going after it and and um yeah i mean i like it's hard it's kind of like harder to talk about because there's not much to talk about like if that makes sense like like she sees this thing thinks it's there goes chasing after it um even to the point where like you know she tries to like chase it and it it just like disappears basically on her and like they go back they look at like the footage they don't see it it's Mm -hmm. you know uh there's supposedly she collided with it but there's no like damage from the you know collision um yeah and but in the process of this she goes to um like like she ends up in this so I'm not entirely like they're they're above some kind of planet, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess it's supposed to be like a gas giant, like a Jupiter kind of planet. Mm-hmm. And there's like maybe this this like huge storm, you know, mm-hmm. part of it. And they talk about like if she gets too like if she goes down too far, then she'll get crushed and can't escape the gravity and stuff. That's what makes me mm-hmm. think of it as like a gas giant that like mm-hmm. gravity becomes so strong that she can't fly back out of it and her. Well, and visually it doesn't look much like it, but even the kind of storm resembles the idea of like the red spot. Like the Jupiter eye of Jupiter. And that kind of right, thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and. Which we've had reference to the eye of exactly, Jupiter. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Previously, not Jupiter the planet, but like that's right. what they're invoking with that yeah yeah exactly and so and and the maelstrom itself kind of looks like like there's like flashback to like the painting she has on the wall Mm -hmm. and stuff and um right right there's all these sort of visual and and you know locative references um Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing um right and and everybody's sort of very natural conclusion is that she's snapping because like you said, there's no footage of any of this on the cameras. Nobody else saw it. Um, and so the pressure is finally getting to Starbucks and she's seeing things that aren't there and finally kind of losing it. Um, but on the other hand, like, yeah, we see this symbol popping up in different places. Um, right. So uh, not just, not just in her mind, but in actual things like, the painting in the temple and the painting on her wall and, and in various places. Um, and I'll kind of point out too, that we've had multiple characters have things that only they can see. And yet we treat them with a degree of reality. Um, like head characters are a regular phenomenon, um, for (laughs) 
not just Baltar anymore, but a few different characters. Including um, Starbuck in this episode. <laughs> including Starbuck in this episode. Um, or I kind of even like mentioned, I kind of think of Adama's conversations with his dead ex-wife that yeah. way too. Like there's a little bit of, if you want to call it Cylon projection or whatever, like that imaginative engagement with something that other people don't see, but that doesn't mean that it's not there in some sense. Um, so it's the tension between those two, which is sort of uh, set up here. And obviously, since nobody else sees these things, there's really nothing Starbuck can do to appeal to anybody else. It's it's a purely, she has to decide what she thinks is happening in her own mind. Mm. Um, um, so, yeah. Right. And so as part of this, like, she has the conversation with Lee, right, about, you know, uh basically you know questioning you know her uh abilities and and her sanity <laughs> um and and he says I'll, you know I trust your eyes over Dreadus any day of the week you know sort of giving his confidence in her um but there's also like like Starbuck doesn't necessarily seem to be one who thinks about death and mortality very often, mm. but like there she is at the memorial wall and sort of mm. talking about where she wants to go and has Lee make this promise of, you know, whichever one of us bites at first, you know, mm -hmm. the other one will make sure that their picture goes up where it belongs. And so she picks uh, going up next to Kat. Um, mm. And he, so I think this is the only reference we get to Duck and Nora in the series proper, right? Outside of the actual episodes or the outside of the webisodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Duck was one of the suicide bombers in the series proper, but like the, um, Oh, that's right. All the, all the backstory of why he right, was right, doing right, that right. was in the, was in like the webisodes. So you wouldn't necessarily have like an emotional connection to him. He would just be like, that guy that they got to like blow himself right. up. He wouldn't have had like reason to know why he did that. Um, right. And so. sort of the relationship that they had and, you know, together, like right. there's no, yeah. So it's just kind of a weird reference right. there in a way, but right. um, you know, why Lee would want to go up next to them. But I guess if we, yeah, we, we've yeah. seen the webisode. So I guess maybe we get it a little bit. Although a little bit, although still, it's like, like really the suicide bomber. <laughs> but well, and and also, I well maybe this maybe this makes more sense then because Lee wasn't there for the sure. suicide bombing, right? Yep. He was on Pegasus. Sure. So what he knows is that that was a good pilot who was a friend of his, and that would be a fun. He says like a fun place to spend eternity is hanging out with the, that right. couple. That's how that's um, how he remembers. Right. them not as you know Nora getting killed by the Cylon you know mm -hmm. sympathizers and duck blowing up you know whatever or I guess it's right. the actual Cylons who killed Nora right and then duck blows up yeah like, right it's it like the, the first like... class of, of the police academy right. or whatever it is right like it was she was in the temple when they raided like for weapons or something right um and then he he was the one that attacked the like the police graduation. Right. Aiming um, for so Baltar. Yeah. yeah. Yes, aiming for Baltar, but took wh whatever shot he could get. Um, 
so uh yeah so maybe we give a Leah gets a little benefit of the doubt of like not knowing all of the the darker places that they went to but, um, um that was a longer aside than i meant to go but anyway um sure well and i think uh, to continue the aside for a second um you know it's starbucks um not reversal on her position with Kat, but like the the fondness that she has that by the end, like they had a kind of fraught relationship, but they also had a real connection too. Like they kind of couldn't stand each other, but in some ways, but in other ways they were very much alike and that they actually um, reconciled at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so Starbucks and you know, you have to wonder if there's some guilt there of Starbucks kind of feeling like she maybe wasn't very good to her or pushed her too far or whatever. Um, so the fact that she's sort of, like you said, she's not a very normally a very morbid person to dwell on death, but here she is thinking about her own death and sort of sitting by Kat's picture and sort of focused on it. Um, Sure. It's kind of interesting. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, that, so, I mean, there's lots of little things here, too. Because, like, she goes and sees this oracle, right? Mm -hmm. um, well... I guess this is even, so this is sort of Hilo's suggestion, right? That like, that she goes see a psychiatrist or an oracle. And so Starbuck right, chooses right. an oracle. Um, and. Is it like, is it like Tyrell who kind of, they choose the religious ones because maybe they won't be quite as incisive as, you know, a, a therapist or. A psychiatrist maybe. right or at least maybe um, that's the belief and then right yeah 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 right well i mean at least with tyrell though weren't because like we find out that his parents were uh priests sure so like sure maybe for him well, that's and even we do... more of a comfortable like like he, sure. he knows priests his parents were priests like yeah he, he knows how to deal with them um well and, and that's true we do get references to Kara being a believer she's not that's true too. Like even She's to the point the where she's not the atheist. Like, she like has little totems of gods that she carries around and, with her, and, and like she won't leave Sam because it's a sacrament. You know, marriage right. is a sacrament, right? So like, right. Right. she'll screw Lee, but she won't divorce her husband over it, right? <laughs> um, which that attitude makes lots of sense, uh, but yeah, is, yeah. Anyway, but like, um, and. With like so, more asides like for Starbuck, like just that she's such a rogue and everything else, like and goes her own way, like that she would even care enough to like mm -hmm. follow a religious whatever, you know that like it just seems kind of weird, mm -hmm. um, and not that I'm I don't mean like weird like even like the writer shouldn't have written her that way. Because, like, mm -hmm. I definitely know people in real life who are, like, you know, epitome of cursing, drinking, swearing, uh, you know, sleeping around, doing pretty much everything that, like, maybe you're not supposed to do if you're a good 
you know, religious person <laughs> or whatever, mm-hmm. like excessively whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. like, but then, you know, they're always like at mass or church or, you know, mm-hmm. all of the observances and that kind of thing. So I don't, you know, I mean, it's not like it's wholly unprecedented in real life either or anything. Sure, um, sure. But, uh, anyway. Right, but it is, it is contradictory. Yeah. Sure. Um, anyway, so all that said, uh, you get started by going to the Oracle and, um, she get the Oracle gives her a little statuette of the goddess Aurora. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, Basically, Starbuck's like, yeah, what am I going to do with this? And the Oracle says, ah, you'll know what to do with it mm-hmm. when the time comes. Um, and then she kind of goes into some of the more private things that Kara uh, is maybe on her mind. But things like Head Leobin. <laughs> and, and no, or not even Head Leobin, I guess, but like actual Leobin and knowing what he and Kara talked about way back when like mm-hmm. Starbuck was torturing him and, and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, but also knows like about her mother and the relationship there, which, um, you know, we get several flashbacks to see sort of what that relationship is like. Um, I guess the Oracle was watching along with us um, <laughs> because she seems to have all of that same info, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of, throws Starbuck off a little bit with um, sort of the insights and and the unexpected sort of knowledge. Like, I mean, Starbuck maybe isn't always private, but like the things she is private about, she's like really private about. And so like, sure. like the people <laughs> like, like coming up and saying, oh, I know this, you know, thing about your past and childhood that like literally nobody else knows. Um, is a little disconcerting and disturbing to her. Um, Right. Right. Well, she's one of those kind of loud and brash people that, that is very much the defense mechanism of, I, she comes across as having no secrets in a way that almost is intentionally meant to give you that impression mm -hmm. when of course she has private thoughts and issues and secrets like everybody does sure but in some ways she overcompensates for that so much by um by coming off as this very seemingly um very extroverted and uh forceful kind of personality um yeah yeah but yeah she's kind of masking some real trauma some real childhood trauma um Right. Which we hear more about. We heard about it, like you said, from her conversations with Leoben, but um um Right, like the slamming the hand in the door. Right, but we get some more detail about that, of how she um kind of provoked her and 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 put fake bugs in in her shoes because she knew it would scare her and stuff. And so sure. like it's not just um, that her mom did this violent thing, but it, it's this kind of complicated antagonistic relationship. Mm. And she kind of even finishes with like, oh, it was worth it. 
Um, like, like, so there's not a lot of love loss there of feeling like, well, the suffering was worth it just to like piss her off that one time, just to give her a good scare. Um, right. Um, so yeah. And, uh, and then like, so it's, it's, there's also these like weird kind of flashbacky kind of mind palacey things with Leoben um, that she goes through as well. Um, and so this is all, so after, like after visiting the Oracle, um, Cheshley goes and ends up giving Adama the mm -hmm. um, statuette of Aurora. Um, and goes back out on, you know, Lee, Lee has expressed his confidence in her and so um, lets her go back out, you know, on patrol again. Um, and, and also, like, Lee also, like, consults with Adama, too. And basically, he's like, it's your decision, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, although Adama says, like, maybe she's burning out. And Lee doesn't think that. So he lets Lee make the decision, but there is a difference of opinion there. Sure. Um, Not the first or last that the Adamas this is will have. Very true. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, regardless, like, Starbuck goes back out on patrol and sees yet another raider that isn't showing up on Dratus, isn't, you know, nobody else is seeing it. Um follows it out and uh has this like extended flashback slash dream slash mind palace mm -hmm. you know uh vacation i don't i don't know what to call it um <laughs> with leo ben and i mean i don't know that we need to go into all the details about like what they talk about and this and that but there's also like you know um flashing back to like her mother and like mm -hmm. um the deathbed and so like you know there's that thing of like yes her mother was terrible and like did bad things but then like you have like the oh she saved all the artwork from when i was six mm. <laughs> you know she sure. she really was a good mommy right yeah not the <laughs> i mean not the most subtle characterization ever right um um yeah yeah i guess her mom is a little bit cartoonishly of a bad parent um like or in a cliched sort of way maybe sure um like yeah like abusive and mean and all these things but also like yeah saves the artwork and puts it on the fridge and all that kind of thing um um you know but there's also this as a standalone maybe not the best but there's also this un ongoing theme of parents and children um mm -hmm. like you said like plenty of conflict with adama and lee um and then other kind of parent-child relationships, but then there's also the kind of metaphorical aspects of, um, uh, you know, Lee or sorry, Adama and Rosalind as sort of parents of the fleet, 
um, mm-hmm. taking care of their kids and the old man and all that kind of thing. Right. Um, and you get Rosalind and Kara's mother is cancer sufferers, so there's a connection there. Sure. Um, and then there's all the stuff of Cylons, of like, we're the children of humanity, and it's, we have to kill our parents to make room for our own growth and all that. So I feel like it kind of is tying into those things as well, even if, yeah, like her relationship with her mother isn't maybe the most well-executed thing that they do. It's like, I feel like whenever this show, and we were just saying this recently in another conversation about how it's not the greatest at one-off episodes. And I feel like it's not the greatest at one-off characters either. Like whenever there's like a sort of guest star, it's like they're never as good as the regulars. Right, like Um, um, Bulldog, right? Yeah, like always, right? Or Adama's ex-wife, or like, you know, like a lot. It's just kind of like, all right, they were there for an episode, and like I think some of the ones who are like regular guest stars, like some of the Cylons, that's different. But the ones that are there for like just an episode, um, I don't know that there's any that are really that good um, that I can think of. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. I mean, I'm, and I think it's probably for the same reason why the like standalone episodes are the weakest. Um, it's like that's just not what the show is really interested in. Uh, sure, it's not the real. It's not the episode of the week kind of thing. It's better at like the arcs and the ongoing narratives and everything. Um, yeah. So yeah, and I mean, on the subject of Headley Oben. Um, I guess I would just want to draw attention to how different he is from regularly open. Um, that at the end they say, you're not Leoben, And he said, never said I was. So, okay, what is he? Mm-hmm. He's this head character who looks like Leoben, And maybe for reasons that are personal to Kara. Um, I mean, so leoben has been this insightful spiritual person but also this kind of awful stalkery <laughs> abuser in her life and yet here we have him as sure a true spirit guide of somebody who helps her through her issues and helps her come to terms with her past and realize her destiny and the like positive side of that so he's kind of doing the things that Leoben says he's doing but he's doing them for real and mm. Although, is it really positive if she ends up dead? I guess that's part of the ambiguity well, there. So, like, does he kind of lead her to her destiny, which is she gets killed by the maelstrom? So, but I so I guess the question is like, does he lead her into that, or is it more like mm. she's already going there, so that he's like helping her come to grips with it? And I think mm. that's. I mean, I don't know that there's a a right way to answer that. Like, I think you can mm-hmm. read it either way and have a pretty right. decent argument for why you do. Um, right. So I guess I'm not entirely sure in that respect of like, is, you know, is this Leo Ben like, is, is head Leo Ben, you know, convincing her to kill herself or is it, you know, helping her come to grips with her own mortality. Mm. Um, 
Right. Well, and so they there's the thing about her sort of death wish of of her fascination with it, but never really coming to terms with mortality of all your he says all your high wire stunts have been an act. Time after time, you skip to the edge of the abyss and dance away again, but you never really conquered your fear. Um, so she flirts with death, but never really made peace with it. And whether or not it's here in this moment, everybody will die. And so sure. it's something you have to come to terms with eventually. So yeah, maybe maybe he's not leading her to kill herself, but if she's about to face it, Maybe he is the one that gives her peace and gives her some um, contentment with that idea. Mm. Or maybe not. And yeah, like you said, that's the ambiguity of it. Um, so, oh, and we kind of skipped over her opening dream of like having sex on the paint in her apartment with Leoben. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, right. So there's that whole aspect of like sure. she's she's disturbed by him, she's afraid of him, but also there's clearly a connection there too. Um yeah. so yeah, this kind of complicates the picture of Leoben that we have um up till now, I think. Um Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, I guess she does sort of, like, come to grips, right? Um, with her death, uh, you know, her mother... Uh, right, you know, or at least, like, she's not afraid. That's kind of her line, is I'm not afraid anymore, so... Right, like, and, yeah. and like, but, like, her mother's like, see, there's nothing so terrible about death. When you finally face it, it's beautiful. Um, hmm. I, you know, I don't know if Starbuck is thinking it's beautiful, but yeah, like there's at least that aspect of her saying, you know, she's no longer afraid. And and mm -hmm. I mean, I guess if I guess I do almost kind of come down on on the side of Leoben as that more like accepting what de your death is and what it means and all of that, mm -hmm. like more so than maybe any other interpretation of his character, of Head Leoben's character in this episode. Yeah. Um, right. I don't know that I think he's convincing her to kill herself, I guess. Right. Sure. Um, is where I land on that, but I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. Fair enough. I guess. Um, yeah, so, um, she does, though. Um, or, if not kill herself, at least. Well, she dies. I, but see, that's the it. thing. It's like, she, I, she, I guess it's... it's yeah, it's how intentional is it? It's yeah. ambiguous as to whether, like, by the time she goes into that head Leobin stuff and flashback and all that, like, do, is it even possible for her to, you know... Right. Get out of get it, out yeah. of it at that point, or or does right. she? Is it like at that point it's like pretty much too late to do anything, and so right, right. I yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, whatever, whether led into it by 
something or um or whether just a product of her own sort of issues that kind of caused a scenario to happen um there is a kind of uh, abruptness and futility to the death you know that like it's not in she doesn't go down fighting in some grand cylon battle it's sure. like oh she flew too low and like that's kind of over a Cylon that may not have even been there in the first place. Um, and I think you get that sense of like, just the shock of that notion, a, the shock that she would die at all, because again, how many times has she cheated? Uh, the scenarios that nobody else would have got out of. Um, but then just the surprise of what, a a kind of pointless, uh, thing it all was. Mm -hmm. Um, for her to have not been able to avoid something that's avoidable um, is kind of shocking. And I think you get that from the, I mean, Lee has a kind of emotional reaction, but certainly like Adama and the rest of the CIC, you just get kind of shock um, and quiet and nobody really knows what to say or how to react or doesn't even really believe it at first. Sure. Although Adama certainly has... A reaction yes. later. In the privacy of his um, study, yeah. A reaction which is unscripted and which um, yeah. is kind of met with some chagrin uh, yeah. on behalf of the production don't, team. <laughs> don't don't put delicate things around Eddie Olmos when he's improvising emotional <laughs> moments. That's the lesson here. Um, so yeah, so um, the story as I understand it is that the ship replica so so he's working on his ship and and like we said Kara gives him um the statuette of aurora right as like a whatever you call like that front part of the right. ship like the prow right the kind of mermaid um, on the mast kind of thing yeah, yeah and so or on the prow or whatever yeah um so she gives that to him and like he just sort of is looking at it and and looking at his ship and basically takes it and like smashes it to pieces. Um, apparently, yeah, Edward James almost thought that it was just like some prop when in reality it was like a museum quality, like a <laughs> uh, uh, model and uh, was worth quite a bit of money. Um, I forget how much exactly off the top of my head, but anyway, so uh, yeah, that turned out to not be the best day in, um, Maybe Ron Moore's life, <laughs> um, or whatever, or yeah, like whoever, yeah. whoever was responsible for that, notifying um, the museum. Um, but yeah, it sounds like they had it insured. So otherwise, yeah. I guess that could have been the end of the show. <laughs> but still, like, it makes you wonder, like, like what? When was the? When was it from? Like, right. like it's one thing to have it insured, but like, I mean, some things right. are only insured, you know, and you get money for it. But you know, is that? was that replaceable? <laughs> like, is it something right. that having that money could actually, you know, get a new one or a different one or, or whatever? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Um, so, you know, there's that question as well. Right. Is it like some priceless, unique period replica or thing or like something from yeah. like where you couldn't just like get a new one? In which case um, though, you do kind of have to say like, wouldn't like, somebody the director or a producer or something like be like all right heads up just so you know this is really expensive <laughs> let's take care of this and 
Uh, I mean, not that you would expect them to smash it, but just like, yeah. Hey, let's make sure you know this thing's worth several thousand dollars. Let's not yeah. like do anything weird or unsavory yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> weird yeah. or unsavory? That makes it sound like never mind. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, um. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Maybe a note to the crew would have been a yeah, good just idea. Same. You know. Especially, I feel like maybe if you get to know that about Eddie, almost like eh, you might just want to. If you right. have, is this if you have priceless valuables, you might want to give him a little heads up. Yeah, three seasons into the show, is this the first time he's done this sort of thing, or like? No, it's not. Like I, I think we've even mentioned a couple moments that were improvised, and we know this about him. Right. Like so, say so, say we all in the miniseries is well, improvisation. Sure, but that's not, so, like, so like, destructive. I, th- that's what I meant, is, like... No, but but he's unpredictable. So, you right. know. Yeah, I feel like... And, hey, hindsight's twenty twenty. so... Um, <laughs> right. You know, Fair but, enough. like, yeah, he is an unpredictable actor, and so if there are parameters, you probably want to let him know. <laughs> um, may- but, yeah, who would think that he would, like take the props and smash them to bits so makes you wonder if if his son is also unpredictable and that's why we get comments about his itchy groin still it's the fault of the editors and the director for not cutting it <laughs> no i yeah i don't disagree. Yeah, that does that does feel like an improv gone wrong <laughs> like that's the kind of thing that you try and then you go eh, that goes on the cutting it's, room floor it's it's Right, or like there's a groupthink element where it's like all of the everyone thought it was funny, but like nobody who actually watches the show thinks it is. It's like right. it's like a bay of pigs and then hot dogs growing on like the scale of groupthink, right. you know, right. travesties. Um, right, right. Oh, the, do, we're do this. This is gonna be hilarious. And yeah. then yeah, everybody watches it and is like, I don't get it. Yeah, right. Like, right. Like, it's some <laughs> intricate. Well, I mean, not that intricate. Maybe have the, but they like, have like an internal logic. Of there's why some like it in, was funny. inside yeah. joke among the writers, and it just has no relevance to anyone who actually watches the show. You no, know, outside of that group, it's bad. All right. Well, okay. So maybe that's a trait. Is <laughs> they they try things, and you know. <laughs> And sometimes it works. Like, so say we all, great moment. Iconic yeah. moment of the series. Um, right. And this I mean, is good, and, too. I mean, and, I mean, yeah, priceless and, museum piece aside, it's an effective moment. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. Maybe yeah. it didn't need to happen, though. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, what, what do you do for the price of art? Like. I do kind of wonder right. how much they got for it, actually. Speaking of the price of that. But anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I forget. I, I don't know if they I forget if he mentions it in the commentary or not. Um, um, so I feel like we've run out of things to talk about, though. Sure. Like, we've been talking about okay. smashing the ship for 10 minutes. Somehow found our way back to Hot Dog's Rash. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, it always goes downhill when we start talking about Hot Dog's Rash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like that's come up a couple times since it happened. So I mean, that's like annoyingly memorable. Right. That's a good way to put it. It's annoyingly <laughs> memorable. It's like memorable, but I don't want to remember it. I don't 
no yeah. there are more interesting things to focus on but um, um but for some reason uh all right so i don't know any other thoughts comments things starbucks dies everyone's sad uh <laughs> i don't mean to diminish her death you, you most of all um um no i mean i think i don't i think like we said at the beginning it's it's a fairly it's not straightforward because it's all over her mind and everything but like yeah there's really one plot and one character so sure you know that's a very narrow in terms of the focus more than we usually get um yeah so maybe we kind of covered the the main points. All right. Well, in that case, uh, we'll be back next week to talk about um, another, the, the last in our spate of Buffy episodes um, and uh, some more BSG. Sounds good. See you then. Mm-hmm.